Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, the podcast where we go book by book and take a deep dive into the Babysitter's Club series, take a look at all the trials and tribulations, the ups, the downs, the life lessons we've learned along the way. <laughs> um, I'm apparently in a very cheesy mood this morning, so um, <laughs> I think that bodes well for this particular book. Because this week we are up to book number 25, Mary Ann and the Search for Tigger. So what what did you think of this book this week, Miss Kate? You know, I it's funny, right before we recorded this, I finished re-listening to our last episode so we could post it this week. <laughs> um, and we were both very excited about getting back to a Marianne episode because it had been a while since we'd had a Marianne book. And um, I... I'm remembering pretty much all of Marianne's books except for uh, Marianne Saves the Day. She kind of sucks. And Logan really sucks. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, I I love Marianne, obviously. But, like, I feel like every time we come back to her books, it's like, why is she acting like this? Like, why is she letting Logan treat her like this? It's just like, I don't know. I mean – I obviously still loved it because it's a Babysitter's Club book and it's a Marianne book, but like I found myself incredibly frustrated this week. How about you? <laughs> I, I'm i 100% with you. Well, maybe not 100% with you. I'm very with you on the frustration, but I, I honestly, I don't think it's about um, like what's up with Mary Ann in her books. I, I think she's acting out of character is what it is. Like I noted a couple of times, like she's so inconsistent mm-hmm. throughout it. Like sometimes she seems like a complete moron and other times she's like hyper capable. It's vi- like, I feel like everybody was slightly out of character this book. Mm-hmm. I know that was ki- kind of the point of Logan. I, ge- I, get, I guess other than him just sucking so much. Um, but like it it just seemed like all of them were out of character. Nobody, well, maybe not all of them, but it just didn't seem it seemed like the book was out of character if that makes sense. Where it just didn't seem to like nail the characters in the way that they normally do um or the balance between the stories or uh, I, I don't know, it just seemed out of whack in a weird way that we I don't think we've really encountered before, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I I just I don't know. I was just very frustrated. <laughs> I don't know if it's because they're out of character or what, but let's maybe give the descriptions and then we can dive into the specifics and maybe I can figure out what exactly is bothering me so much about Marianne in this one. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. So let's start with the back of the book and tell us what the marketing team wanted us to think this book was about. <laughs> Marianne just loves her little kitten Tigger. So when he disappears one afternoon, Marianne is a little concerned. The next morning, Tigger is still missing, and Marianne is frantic. It's time for an emergency meeting of the Babysitter's Club. The girls pull together a reward for the return of Tigger, and they search everywhere for him. Until Marianne receives a frightening letter in the mail. Someone has taken Tigger, and Marianne must pay $100 to get him back. Is this some mean practical joke? Or has Tigger really been catnapped? <laughs> that was so dramatic. I love it. The number of times people said catnapped or, or like dognapped or the, the number of times the word napped yes. in variations <laughs> happened in this book was hilarious to me. So many naps. <laughs> so as 
as melodramatic as that was, that is very much how the characters treated the plot of this book. Mm-hmm. Like, well, the, how Marianne did, certainly. And all of the kids that they babysit for. Like, I'm, we'll obviously get That's into this, true. but like, literally every child that the Babysitter's Club babysits for that we see in this book is obsessed with Tigger and looking for him every time that they're being babysat. Like, if, you know, we it's funny because, you know, we go through all of these things like, it's the practical joke book. It's the pet book. Like, this is the Tigger book. Like, everybody is obsessed with Tigger in this book. And out of nowhere, like, no one, I don't ever recall, like, Jamie Newton or Charlotte ever being like, oh, my God, Marianne's cat. I love Marianne's cat so much. Like, it's just funny because it's like, this is the one where everyone's obsessed with Tigger. Exactly. It, and it's just, um, wow, it's really fascinating to think about the fact how, what that really does as an effect to like make it it seem like the world revolves around these characters and um i don't know that's fascinating i don't i don't know if i have a deeper thought than that there but <laughs> that just sort of i think that's one of those things i'm going to like be aware of now of, of how it's structured for the books to feel very much like the world revolves around them even the way the parents um of the kids sometimes make it feel that way mm-hmm. as well Again, I'm not really sure where I'm going with that, but something to keep a note of as we as we move forward. I'm sure someday we'll have um, a grand theory on it. We only have <laughs> right. how many more books to go? 300 some. <laughs> um, so why don't we uh, dial the drama back, you know, just a notch or two. Before we go into what really happened, I do want to note this came out in June 1989 and was Ann M. Martin still. So no ghostwriters just yet. Just plain old. Anna Martin melodrama. So still working hard herself. <laughs> <laughs> um, clearly running out of some plots here, and <laughs> as we're getting to the end of her tenure, as there is, there really isn't a B B plot in this one. Which okay, we'll get to. So why don't you tell us what does happen? Okay, so the Marion specific plot here. Marianne reveals at the start of the book that Tigger, who is definitely still a kitten, has been starting to go outside the past few weeks. She's hanging out with Logan outside, because he's not allowed in the house unless Richard is home, playing with Tigger as assorted neighborhood kids stop by to play with Tigger, and Logan kicks off an attitude that lasts for most of the book. Tigger doesn't want to go in when Marianne heads to the babysitter's club meeting, so she leaves him outside. Granted, he has a cat door, but she still just leaves him chilling in her yard as she walks across the street. Tigger is nowhere to be found when she gets home, and she freaks out. Rightly so, obviously. Um, Richard calms her down and they look around, but he's definitely missing. He continues to be missing for several days, but eventually Marianne finds him at Logan's house, hidden in his nine-year-old sister Carrie's bedroom for a host of reasons, which we will get into. (laughs) Yes. And the Babysitter's Club generally. Um, The Babysitter's Club plays a backup role in this one. Like you just said, Lauren, there's not really a B-plot. Helping Marianne look for Tigger, making a plan to help her, papering the neighborhood with flyers, and catching a fake catnapper with maybe a a maybe clever plan, or maybe not so clever since they did only outwit a 10-year-old jackass. Logan's having difficulties <laughs> on the middle, the Sony Brook Middle School baseball team, and he takes his frustrations out on Marianne, but ultimately they make up after she confronts him about being a jerk, and he apologizes, although she did suspect he knew his sister had Tigger and didn't tell Marianne, which is also, which was not the case, but so she also apologizes. There's a lot of apologizing at the end of this book. Yeah. Well, well rightly so. Like, everybody acted like an asshole at the end there. Yes. Well, or in the case of Logan, all the way through. Yeah. Yeah, he got he I, we really can't uh, understate how much he sucks in this. Like, I, I had fond memories of Logan going mm-hmm. into these books. And I'm not clear where that is coming from at all. Like, I, he's so far done absolutely nothing. And not even just like, through 2020 eyes, although there's plenty of that. But like, 
even in the course of the books, he kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Like and and like they acknowledge that. So I'm unclear where this perfect boyfriend um, mythology, I guess, sprang up around him. At least for me personally, I but think I, I know I'm not alone in that. No, and that's what I was about to say. I think that that comes from the fact that in these books. It, it, everyone's saying that Logan's so great. Logan's perfect. Logan's the nicest boyfriend ever. And so I think, you know, reading it as a kid, maybe without as much real world experience about, you know, quote unquote romantic relationships, you just sort of take that as it is. You know, Marianne says that Logan's perfect and he's the cutest and he's the best boyfriend ever. And despite the fact that he's being an asshole, in this book, in virtually all of the books, whether it's like sort of like varying levels of dickishness from Logan, like in none of these Marianne books has Logan been like perfect number one ultimate boyfriend ever. Like he always has at least some asshole moves, you know, like the mansplaining, I think even mm-hmm. in, you know, Marianne saves the day. So it's like, I feel like we all just sort of like listened. It was like in show don't tell it was like tell don't show <laughs> even though they do show it we just sort of like ignored the show part and just listened like you know because it's not even just marianne saying like logan's the best boyfriend like all of the girls when they describe who logan is it's like logan's marianne's boyfriend he's so sweet he's so nice he's the best he also likes to babysit like so i think it, it's more just a product of us like only hearing what they're telling us and not like reacting to what they're actually showing us through the descriptions in these books maybe i don't know no i think you're exactly right because that that's we got it through repetition and that happens that repetition happens in every book usually mm-hmm. multiple times as they touch on it um whereas he's only showed up as a character really two or three times now right so the the course of or over the course of time when you know things get um narrowed down in your memory as to, you know, specific things that stand out. Of course, we're going to remember the things that get repeated Mm -hmm. over and over and over again, as opposed to these specifics. And to be fair, some of the mansplaining tendencies are much more obvious from a modern context and just from an adult, grown-ass woman perspective. Especially because like this, so let's just get into what, how he was a dick all throughout this. So, I mean, it like levels <laughs> he's dickish in lots of different ways <laughs> yes. but the um the first thing i want to start with was you mentioned it in your summary and that's sort of where we begin he's over to hang out with mary ann and he's like pissy that they can't go inside the house and i'm like y'all are 12 13 tops i, I think they turn 13 um i do this every time they're 13 years old i feel like you know everybody's talking about how strict Marianne's dad is, but I feel like letting a 13-year-old boy into your home when there are no parents at home is not particularly like, oh, my God, how dare you? What a terrible human being. Right. Well, and it's also not like this was just sprung on him. Like, Marianne makes it clear that, like, this is Richard's rule. And it's not just Logan. It's like people. she's just not allowed to have people over inside the house when he's not there. Like, that's just the rule. It seems like it's always been the rule. I mean, my guess is even, like, Christy and Claudia can't come over when Richard's not there. Like, so the fact that Logan's being an asshole about it is, like, this isn't new. Like, this is how it always is, dude. Like, you need to chill. And, well, ironically enough, I thought I found it very um, realistic of teenage boys to be, like, pressury about stupid stuff like that. But I found that interesting to show up as a plot point in the Babysitter's Club books because, A, like we've talked about a number of times, 
in, in our experience, the girls who are reading these and boys and non-binaries who are reading these tend to be younger demographic. Mm-hmm. You know, we both started reading them around, you know, five to seven, ten or so. Um, and there's, well, to this point, the relationship between them, they they very like chastely talking about kissing, but there's no talk of like, um, even when Stacy's interested in the older boy, there hasn't been any like pressuring of mm-hmm. any kind or like talk of... Th- th- I mean, there's kissing, but I almost it's almost platonic kissing. Like, they're right. very non-sexual, I guess, is my very long-winded way of, of trying to <laughs> right. beat around that particular bush. I don't, don't know why I was being so coy about that. They aren't particularly sexual in any way. And this, to me, felt borderline like we're brushing into a topic that we haven't gotten into before. So I don't know if that was intentional or if that was just me overreacting to it. But I thought that was fascinating as a, as a jumping-off point. Like, the very first interaction we get with Logan in this book – He's pushing because he wants to go inside Marianne's house while her dad's not home. Um, I don't know. I thought that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I feel like maybe we should move on from Logan because I feel like if, we're, if we start, if we continue down this line, like this is probably not going to be as fun an episode as we would like it to be. Not that this book is particularly fun, but I feel like I feel like Logan. I feel like we just need to acknowledge Logan's a dick in this one. And obviously he'll come up as the, we have more conversations. But, like, I feel like I feel like I, I, I can feel myself getting more and more negative towards him. And I don't want to <laughs> drag this whole thing down with me being like, fuck you, Logan. I hate you. <laughs> that is a very, very valid choice. I just want to say the, the one thing that, like, the overarching thing about Logan that annoyed me in this that I think is important as we're talking about the other plots um, as particularly as we as we talk about Marianne and and how she's behaving, the thing that frustrated me so much is he his big complaint with Marianne, or he's frustrated because of what's happening on the middle school team. And then at one point he's he yells at Marianne for being too sensitive and such a girl, um, and why she why she's so upset about her pet. And I'm like, dude, you're so upset about a game, about yeah. a ball, like a middle school game at that, like that has no bearing on your future. So that was where I was so. Um, frustrated and more importantly I'm not sure that the book very clearly called out that hypocrisy Mm -hmm. I feel like he gets let off the hook a little bit at the end I mean granted yes he does apologize but they don't acknowledge that like it he didn't he shouldn't have been taking things out at Marianne he was being overreacting about something too I, I don't know maybe again maybe I'm being oversensitive and you're right we do not need to spend an hour and a half thrashing out the patriarchy because we we really could yeah but well i i guess i just to put one final like pin on it i feel like sort of branching out from that the fact that we don't really get an acknowledgement that logan is um you know acting like marianne's overreacting when he is actually overreacting you know she's overreacting about someone she considers to be a family member and he's overreacting about a game Mm -hmm. and the thing that frustrates me the most during that like apology conversation at the end is like She's also apologizing for sort of rightly assuming that Logan knows that her, her that his sister has Tigger in her house. I mean, he doesn't, but like he's acting super shady and not being supportive about Tigger, so it's reasonable that she would think that. And the fact that I mean, yes, she should apologize because she was wrong, but they sort of make their positions or their, you know, wrongdoings i guess that's not really the right word but like the bad thing that each of them did is sort of treated as equal when what he's doing is much Mm -hmm. worse and i I think that sort of goes to the point you were just trying to make is like logan doesn't really get any comeuppance not that 
that again, that's not really the right word, but like there's no acknowledgement that he was a problem in this one. It's like, oh yeah, sorry, baseball was really hard. Okay, well, you're still a dick. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. I think the fact that that their grievances or their um, infractions are given equal mm-hmm. weight when clearly his is much worse and and that is not cool. Right. Um, but the reason I think that that is important to note is because of the fact that Mary Ann, in my opinion, is sort of all over the place in her characterization. Like, again, you noted it in your summary, but the very first thing that seemed out of character to me was the fact that she just left Tigger in the yard before heading over to the meeting. Like, so mm-hmm. blasé about it. I, it. That, to me, just... I was already like, this doesn't seem like Mary Ann at all. Then she keeps talking about how she's a worrywart. Well, a worrywart would not just be like, sure, I'll just leave my right. kitten, my very clear kitten... Just chilling in the backyard. Um, that just seemed like such a head-scratching moment to me. I, I don't know if that already – but it, it kicked things off on a like kind of sour note for me. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think that that's probably part of the reason why I got so frustrated with this is because, like you said, it just sort of – the book starts and already you're sort of like on the back foot because Marianne's acting completely out of character. Like Marianne does not seem like the type of person – and. I say this as a not cat person. I don't really know much about owning a cat or having a cat be part of your family. Marianne doesn't strike me as someone who would have an indoor outdoor cat. She strikes me as someone who would have an indoor Mm -mm. cat and only an indoor cat. And if she did have an indoor outdoor cat, it would be much more controlled. There wouldn't just be a cat door that he could go out whenever he feels like. So the fact that she not only has Tigger sort of allowed to be outside generally, and then she's like, oh, well, he doesn't want to go inside, so I'm just going to peace out. Like, that's not the Marianne that we yep. know. It's just it, – it didn't make any sense, and I think that sort of kicked the book off on the wrong foot, and it's sort of like, oh, okay, well, this is weird, <laughs> and I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, it, it was even before she just left him chilling out there. The fact that she had him outside at all, mm-hmm. I was already like – uh, you're exactly right. She just doesn't – I'm not going to get into the politics of whether cats should be indoor or outdoor or what, that's a whole debate that I'm not wading into for the life of me. And Marianne, you're right in that Marianne as a character does not seem like someone who would be comfortable with giving up the level of control mm-hmm. you would have to in order to have an indoor-outdoor cat. Exactly. Um, she just does not seem – because I, I think Richard is – correct in his well if if it weren't a kitten like that's what i keep coming back to like if this were a cat who they were used to being indoor outdoor who was maybe gone for a longer period of time or like the first time their outdoor cat didn't come back for the night i i guess but it's also weird because once again timeline wonkiness strikes again It, it starts off really clear about like it's the weekend and then once they get back to school it's unclear how much longer the cat's actually gone like i couldn't tell by the end exactly how long Tigger had been missing. I think it's about a week. Because I think at one point, I think when they have the meeting with the fake kidnapper, fake catnapper, I think one of them says that it's been five days that he's been missing by the time they have that like fake ransom exchange. Gotcha. So like I I can see Richard's um, sort of blasé attitude that first night if they were were prepared to have him be an indoor outdoor cat. But I also don't agree that he would be this that uninvolved in the situation a week later. Mm-hmm. Like if your family pet is missing, I mean, I get that he's um, 
portrayed as kind of a cold fish in the books, but <laughs> he's he's clearly not uncaring. Right. He's he's a good dad. Um, I feel like he would not be quite so like, oh, you haven't found your cat yet. S- sucks for you, you know. That, which just seems to be um, the attitude. I, I, which, I mean, we laugh a lot about how sometimes hyper competent the the characters in these books are. The specifically the club girls, but I mean Logan too. It, I suppose begrudgingly, I'll give him that. <laughs> but this is one where it seemed glaringly obvious. And out of, and this is what I mean by like the book seeming out of character, that the parents would not be involved in this situation. Yeah. Well, especially because even in this book, that first night when Marianne goes into his room and is like, it's 10 o'clock, Tigger's still not back. He's like, okay, let's get some flashlights. Let's go outside. Like, so even in this actual book, we get Richard being like, okay, let's take this seriously. Let's go see if we can find him. He might be, you know, hiding under a bush or something. Like, let's, let's. Let's start looking. And then the fact that that's the like basically the last time that we see Richard really caring. I think he sort of cares the next morning when he's still when Tigger's still not back. But like the fact that Tigger's been gone for, you know, five days a week and we get nothing from Richard at all is it doesn't make any sense. Even I mean, it would be one thing if he was completely like not participating and being like, I'm sure it'll be fine. And like, that's the end of it. We don't see Richard again. I mean, that is still stupid. But like, the fact that we see him care and support Marianne and try to help, and then he just like goes radio silent after that, it makes it sort of even worse that he's not involved in this process at all. I completely buy, though, that they wouldn't want to bring an adult in the supposed, you know, catnapping ransom situation, because they do have some pretty clear logic there. Like, yeah, obviously, this is not something an adult would do. However, that being said, that was one of the big places where I was like, Marianne is different from one moment to the next, because it's very clearly that same stupid, dopey kid. Mm-hmm. And she figured out this the, the scam with him instantaneously the first time. And then the second time, he literally just cut up the flyer. And she's like, oh, nope, they very clearly have my cat right. and are ransoming it. Well, I did I'm love like, that Don was sort of like, if they really had Tigger, why wouldn't they take like a Polaroid picture of him and use that as the evidence that they have him, not the picture that we put out there? <laughs> so at least somebody is like being logical. Well, that's what I mean. Like everybody else is. Logan is the one who is like, no, we don't need to get parents. He's like, very clearly, this is not something an adult would do. Like the rest of the girls are like, yeah, this is clearly like we're not we don't need to get the police involved. I think that, you know, part of me thought maybe Cokie Mason was behind it for a second there. <laughs> um, but I but largely because the, this uh, ransom plot is just so similar to the mustard seed Cokie Mason. Like, why, why is Mary Ann always getting duped into thinking her life is in moral peril um, other than because she believes it, I guess? I, I don't know. But it. It just seems strange to me that she got it so quickly before and then the second time around was like, nope, I 100% believe someone is ransoming my kitten. Although Um, when they hung up the flyers, it had only been like a day. And then by the time they get the ransom notice, it's been like four or five days. So maybe we can chalk it up to her being sort of more frantic and worried. I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily explicit in the book. But like, you know, if if Indiana was missing for – a day, I would be freaking out, obviously. But if he was missing for a week, I would be like insane with worry. So I I could kind of reasonably like give her the benefit of the doubt for not necessarily like being as smart the second time around. 
And I would completely agree with you if I believed that she were frantic. And <laughs> yet, <true>. earlier <laughs> in the book, when Christy shows up with the flyers, she's like, nah, it's really early. I'm going to go back to bed. Thanks, though. Come back at noon. <laughs> like That true. is like... She's seriously like, I am frantic. I can't find my cat. And then Christy calls at 845 and is like, hey, we got all those flyers. My mom drove to work on a Saturday night to make copies. We're here. And Marianne's like, nah, I'm going to go back to bed. Yeah, but come back and Let's noon. do it later. Like, <laughs> That's true. That just, I was like, what the fuck was that about? <laughs> you you can't claim that you're so panicked about your cat and then be like, nah, I'm going to just, I'll wait. What's a couple hours? I want to sleep some more. <laughs> Right? Like, I can see her being like, oh, well, we can't wake up Claudia and Dawn yet. But, like, clearly, Christy is clearly up and raring to go and ready to go. And her big complaint was, I'm in my nightgown. Well, you can change that, Marianne. It's a pretty easy. <laughs> right. By the time Christy gets to your house, you will have had time to change. Yeah. But, nah, you know, let's wait three or four hours. That just baffled me. I was like, th- that's what I meant. That's when I was really like, okay, book. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm willing – I'm willing to go along with some shenanigans with these. I mean, they are books aimed at children. <laughs> we we have embraced a lot of silliness, but okay. No, no, no. That, that, that's just so not in character. That is not Marianne at all. Um, that's not a human being. I, I don't know. It, it just was so strange. Uh, I don't even know, like, <laughs> what else? Like, the, yeah, everyone's just like, Marianne is so weird in this one. And I don't like – I mean, I'm glad that Tigger wasn't actually lost. But, like, I don't like the fact that, like, Logan's sister took the cat and was, like, hiding her or hiding him in her closet. Like, notwithstanding the fact mm-hmm. that, like, Logan and – Logan's brother, Hunter, is, like, severely allergic to everything. Like, to the degree that his bedroom has, like, no curtains because they'll have dust in them. Yeah. And, and like – and. I mean, the first time when Marianne goes to babysit for Carrie and Hunter, and Hunter is, like, having severe allergic reactions. And it's like, yes, he's always had very bad allergies, but it's like, clearly something's happening here. And it's like, nobody thinks the fact, like, this kid has had these allergies his entire life. And now suddenly they're, Mm -hmm. like, going crazy and Carrie's acting like a weirdo who's hiding something in her bedroom. Like, parents hello like pay attention to your children (laughs) like clearly your nine-year-old daughter is like up to something and also your i think he's seven your seven-year-old son is like having some severe allergy attacks like maybe like do a little bit of investigating or marianne also like maybe the first time when you're babysitting for hunter and carrie like why does carrie keep leaving like who just like lets the kid go wander around. I mean, obviously kids need to have autonomy in their own homes when they're being babysat, but like Marianne is just like completely clueless during that babysitting job. And it's like, as as soon as they talked about Hunter having these like escalated allergy attacks, it's like, obviously Carrie has the fucking cat in her closet. Like, hello, anybody? Right. I think that's, I, maybe that's the other thing that's so frustrating about this is like, everything is so obvious in this one. And I feel like we've had this happen in at least one other book where it's just like, I understand that the story needs to happen, but come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I don't like it when they make our characters, like, not smart for purposes of the story. It's It always frustrates me. And that is, number one, that is the very overall note that I wrote when I, like, at the end, when I go through and read and mm-hmm. I note all the way through and then I, I sort of jot down my 
overall big picture thoughts for the book. And that was my biggest picture thought. I was like, once again, we're in a in a situation where every single person is acting out of character in service of the plot. And that is really frustrating. And I like, I understand these are not meant to be high literature, but for for books that really do do so much a lot of the times, that's why it gets really frustrating on books like this when it just seems like there was I don't I don't want to say like little care because it's it's obviously not that mm-hmm. but it just seemed like three-fourths of the way there like I feel like this is a good plot I feel like dealing with what happens when you lose a pet that's very in the wheelhouse like I, I feel like even the the Logan stuff um could have been a really interesting B plot if they had, had given that the space mm-hmm. I think part of the issue is too it wasn't just about in service of the plot it was also in service of keeping the book like format yeah for example there was that whole chapter with jesse's family babysitting job that was the biggest nothing literally nothing happens she even says in the opening you know babysitting for my siblings at home is really easy that's just like being at home nothing ever happens yep and then, and then nothing proceeds happens to be a whole chapter <laughs> where nothing happens but that because that's the um the formula of these books, you know, introduce everybody, introduce the main plot, have a babysitting job with another one of the girls as the, you know, as the, but usually those other jobs are somewhat thematically either linked to the main plot or their own some kind of story. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it feels like the whole Logan being a dick thing kind of got shoved into the Tigger missing mm-hmm. thing where those could have been two separate stories. I, I, I don't know. I just feel like it ju- I think this was more frustrating to me because it just missed the mark. I feel like in terms of the fact that the execution was just wrong. Yeah. The intent was good. The, the the idea was there. It just didn't get pulled off in the right way. And I think that now that we're like talking through it all together, I think that that is really where my biggest frustration lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. I do have to say, though, I was relieved that at least they like made the point to say that Carrie uh, didn't realize it was Marianne's cat right away. Um, I mean, she did know and then didn't return it. And that's a super dick move. But at least she didn't, you know, straight up steal the cat. Uh, because before it started to get really obvious with the hunter allergies thing, there, there was a it was just a throwaway line about how Charlotte Johansson wishes that Tigger was hers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God, please tell me that Charlotte Johansson did not steal this cat. Um, because then, of course, then I was like, well, then would Dr. Johansson just like not know? I'm thank God that they didn't go yeah. that route because that could that would have made absolutely no sense. Uh, but for a for, so I had to give that at least some credit because for a hot minute there it could have been a lot lot worse. <laughs> right, any one of the children that they babysit for that is obsessed with Tigger for this book, if any of them had stolen, because we've never I think we've heard reference about Carrie and Hunter before, but I don't think we've actually like met them in any of these books. So no. it's sort of helped that it was the first time you know sort of like the same thing with like and obviously this is going way back but like like the Barretts when we first meet them um you know in Dawn and the Impossible 3 like there's there's a problematic child or like Betsy Sobeck in um you know Claudia and the Bad Joke it's like there are these kids who are bad for this one book that it is helpful that it's a new child as opposed to like Jamie Newton or Charlotte like stealing the cat you know Mm -hmm. so it's it sort of gives us a little bit of 
breathing room maybe or like flex distance? yeah distance yeah. so it's not you're not cuz like you said you know oh my god what if charlotte takes this cat and that's what kicks this whole plot off like oh i you know we can't even imagine that like the charlotte johansson that we know and love would ever consider stealing tigger so that would be another example of like someone acting out of character for the plot so it it's it's always helpful when it's like a new kid that we don't actually know or at least you know don't really know that is driving the plot and then you know by the end of the book they learn their lesson or you know in the case of the barretts <laughs> mrs barrett learns her lesson <laughs> i mean i do think and i copied this down from like the end of the book um where you know everything has come out and carrie's sort of admitting to everything so basically she says that she was riding her bike home and she took tigger because she saw him by the side of the road and this is you know what she's they ask her you know did you know that tigger was marianne's cat that that you had taken and she says um not at first i really didn't i thought he was lost or that somebody had dumped him by the side of the road then logan told us about tigger and i figured out and i figured it out only i thought well marianne isn't taking very good care of him if she lets him wander away and i decided he'd be better off with me which like for a nine-year-old that's actually pretty reasonable I mean, like, obviously she shouldn't have done that, but, like, I'm sure at nine I would have thought the same thing. I mean, hell, even now I maybe would have thought the same thing depending on the circumstances. It's like, this cat's out on the side of the road. It's dark outside. Like, because she even says, like, she's, like, she saw his eyes flash, so it was, like, getting dark. I mean, I don't know why a nine-year-old was out riding her bike in the dark, but <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> other question. But, like, yeah, I, I, it's – I would not be surprised – you know, I, and I think that's probably part of the reason why Carrie doesn't get in significant trouble. Like, obviously, she's in trouble for, for you know, bringing a cat home and hiding it in her closet and, you know, not giving him back when she knows that it's Marianne's cat. Um, but the parents are sort of understanding in her reasoning and also the fact that, like, she wants to feel like she has something she can take care of. And, you know, she wanted a pet. She's wanted a pet for a long time. And they've never been able to get her a pet because of Hunter's allergies. But, you know, by the end of the book, they decide they're going to, you know, take her to find a hairless pet option <laughs> so that she, you know, has the ability to to feel like she has a pet, especially because, as Logan has pointed out, she doesn't have any friends. So, which is really yep. sad, which I also love that, you know, Marianne doesn't hold it against her that she stole Tigger and she even like sets up a play date with Charlotte Johansson though, so that hopefully Carrie can make some friends. So like, it's very like, I don't know, like it, it's sort of like the uplifting part at the end of the book. Like this whole book has been very frustrating, but then the fact that like Carrie has obviously had a very difficult situation and she wasn't doing anything to be malicious and like everybody recognizes that and they go out of their way to like figure out a way to, like, help her, I think was really sort of the nice, like, silver lining on the end of this one. Totally, totally agreed. And and that, I think, is just another instance of where it, it, it's, like, so close to being right. Mm -hmm. Because they do handle that with the trademark care and nuance that we've come to expect. That that you're right, I didn't even really think about that. But her, her punishment really did... Um, was appropriate. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel, like, overly harsh. It addressed the issue. She knew what she did was wrong. But they were far more concerned with addressing why the issue happened rather than punishment for what did. And, man, it's almost like we could still learn that lesson today on, on like, a systematic scale. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We don't need to go. <laughs> <laughs> if we didn't need to get into Logan, we don't really need to get into too much of systematic oppression. No. Um, although I did note – as you know, we said we're going to continue to call it out. One that uh, 
Marianne's description of Claudia included the, our favorite almond eyes mm-hmm. and super exotic with her long, silky black hair. Um, but the other thing that I noticed that I've sort of noticed before, but it really, I guess, crystallized for me this time is how awkwardly they talk about Jesse being black. Like with with Claudia, it's so matter of fact. She's Japanese American. But every time someone mentions Jesse's blackness, it's very much like, well, she's black. And I, I think that's really fascinating because, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, as some of my random thoughts, this one is very dated in ways that we haven't seen in a little while. Um, but it it feels very much of its time in that the name of the game in that late 80s, early 90s space was very much, you know, like colorblind, you know, don't don't call out the differences. So, you know, any type of pointing out that she was black felt uncomfortable in some way. But I just find it fascinating that that doesn't happen with Claudia, mm-hmm. where her race is treated as a matter of fact, where Jesse's is more of, an, a you know, said in hushed tones. Um I, I don't know if that stood out to you at all or if you had any thoughts on, uh, around that, but it just really, it struck me this time, especially because then when they turn around, it almost seemed like they were being weird about saying, well, Ma- well, actually Mallory's white. Like almost, like you were should be surprised that Jesse had a, a white friend or like they're an odd, they have everything in common, but their skin tone. So aren't you surprised that they're friends or I, I, I don't know why it struck me as odd this time. Yeah, I have sort of noticed that as we've been going through this, you know, sort of ever since um, Jesse and Mallory have joined the Babysitter's Club, it, it really is like Claudia being Japanese American is just like, that's one of the adjectives that we use to describe her. And it's just sort of in that list of, and obviously it's a problematic list, but it's, you know, she's Japanese American with almond eyes and she's exotic looking with black hair, which like, (laughs) as we've said many, many times, like all of those things put together is not great. Um, But when they get to describing Jesse, it's always sort of like, well, I guess I should just say she's black. You know, like I I, I Mm -hmm. have to say it, but like, I don't want to, I don't want to sort of, and I don't even know, like, it's sort of like, it's that uncomfortable it sort of feels uncomfortable to read it because it you can feel the uncomfortableness of the sort of narrator being like, I wish I didn't have to tell you this, but I, I should tell you this because otherwise you'll assume she's white. And obviously I don't want you to assume she's white because she's not white, but it's like, yes, she's black. Like, just say that. You don't have to, like, hang a lantern on it, you know, like – and it, going also to that point that you just said about like, well, Mallory's white and Jesse's black. And isn't that crazy that they're so similar, but they're so different. It's just like they can just be friends like they're they're people. And I mean, and I guess it's sort of like the frustrating thing. And it's going to sort of like that colorblindness thing that you said, you know, and it even, you know, is pervasive to today is like if you just describe someone the like default i guess is the person i'm describing is white unless i tell you otherwise which is like not great <laughs> i don't know i i'm like mm-hmm. sort of all over the place about this but yeah it's like you know being japanese american is like close enough i'm using scare quotes here, scare quotes here obviously because i'm not <laughs> this yep. isn't how i feel but it's like in this sort of narration of this or like the thinking while writing this is like Japanese American is like close enough to being white that like it's just a thing. But like Jesse being black is so different. So we have to make sure that like kids are aware of her differentness and, you know, all of the difficulties that come along with that without really giving any weight to that. Because as we've seen in these books, like, you know, the racism aspect is like sort of very under 
played and not not great, as we talked about, um, you know, in Jesse's books previously. Yeah, I, I'm sort of all over the place about this. I mean, I have obviously strong feelings about it, but I feel like I'm just sort of like talking, so I should probably stop. But that's sort of where I'm at on all of it. No, I, I'm i with you 100% where I, I feel like I don't – we don't have some grand unifying like thought on it. And it is something that we've brought up before mm-hmm. and I think we're going to continue to bring up. But I think – I think it's an okay thing for us to continue to acknowledge that we don't have all the answers, yeah. but that we're continuing to, you know, do the work and point it out and and wrestle with why it feels uncomfortable and what it, um, you know, keep asking these questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that um, when we stop, when we when we just, you know, or try to pretend like we have all the answers, then that's when we run into problems. Yeah. So <laughs> I think we can just commit to continuing to bring it up and wrestle with it. And we're going to have lots more opportunities. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, the fifth time we pull it out and 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 look at it, it it'll get us somewhere a little closer to, you know, better in our own anti-racist work. Mm-hmm. So, um, wow. Again, we keep getting into heavy stuff for a book about a lost cat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who knows where conversation topics come from? I don't know. That makes no sense. <laughs> Absolutely. Who knows where thoughts come from? They just appear. That's what I was going for. Empire Records. <laughs> yes. I love it. Um, God, now I want to watch Empire Records. I haven't watched that in, in a while. But that's one that holds up. Mm-hmm. I have watched it recently. It's not like it's a – were you the one just telling me that it can't yes. hardly wait? Doesn't, yes, you oh. are. That does not hold up. So disappointing. Um, yeah, clearly we're running out of big picture things to talk about in this book because we have wound up on <laughs> whether or not our other 90s beloved things hold up. Um, there was a surprising lack of fashion in this one, considering that it was Marianne and she normally gives us is good for some, you know, big descriptions. Yeah, we really only got the, you know, typical Christy standard uniform. She always wears jeans, a turtleneck, a sweater and running shoes. Well, not in the summer, of course, but you know what I mean. And then Claudia, there's only one description and it's not even really an actual outfit. It's another one of those. And I think Mallory did this recently is like, this is what she might wear and sort of describes it. So um, it's her clothes that amaze me though. I think they amaze everyone. Claude mixes and matches the weirdest stuff and comes up with the coolest outfits, like a loose blouse with a fake coat of arms on it, worn over a very short black skirt around her waist, a scarf on her feet, short black boots dangling from her ears, dinosaurs, and her hair might be piled on top of her head and held in place with hairpins that look like seahorses. She combines all this stuff and she looks fantastic. I find no fault in that outfit. Oh yeah. Would wear 10 out of 10 right now. Would put it on, put it on my body right now. Definitely. I'd have nowhere to Um, wear it, but (laughs) I would definitely wear it. (laughs) Yes, I would wear it around my apartment for the next couple of months because that's the only place I'm going. So I guess the one thing we can mention, because there was – I can't remember what, if it was the last book or the book before when we talked about babies in space and how it's sort of funny that there's you know real uh, pop culture versus made-up pop culture in these books um, – this one in particular, there was a lot of reference to actual books. And then I think there were a couple made up ones and I, I noted them, but the, the things I wanted to note in particular were the real things because two of the three that are mentioned are things that I read repeatedly when I was a child. So the first one is um, A Swiftly Tilting Planet by Madeline Langle, which like I love Madeline Langle. Like I never really got into all the like, christian mythology aspects of it and symbolism but like 
I just like some of her books, like A Swiftly Tilting Planet and An Acceptable Time and A Ring of Endless Light. Those three books I have read a million times. I think I've even talked about An Acceptable Time before. Like I have two copies of it because I destroyed the first paperback that I had of it because I read it so much. So um, just had to call that out because I always love when things that I love because and it's Marianne reading that book. So it's like even more like, you know, on point. Um, And then Baby Island and Sounder. Um, And Baby Island is actually kind of funny because um, when we talk about I don't remember what the name of it is, but the the one where where Don and Claudia get shipwrecked and with a bunch of kids that they're babysitting when they're on a sailing trip, um, they make a lot of references to Baby Island, and so I I probably read the book because I read that super special because I was like I want to see what this is all about because <laughs> they talk about how similar it is and it is, you know, a couple teenage girls with a bunch of babies on a tropical island, <laughs> but and I think that they've referenced Baby Island in the past, but I just had to call out those. Those, you know, pop culture things that are near and dear to my heart. Um, it's so funny because I did the same thing, but I looked up Millions of Cats because that, I was like, was that is absolutely a real book. I remember Oh, it. is it real? Um, and it is. It is okay. a real yeah, book. Yeah, I even yep. wrote in my notes like, is that real? <laughs> oh, it's the oldest American picture book still in print. Oh, um, interesting. Interesting. Did not did not know that part. Um, I actually have a big uh, blind spot. Um, uh, Madeline Lingle blind spot. I read Wrinkle in Time because everybody did when I was in grade school, mm-hmm. and I, I just it didn't it it didn't click with me for whatever reason. I mean, I remember enjoying it, but it didn't it didn't stay very memorable. And then I didn't read the rest of her stuff, and I I have no I, it's so strange looking back because it's very much my shit. Mm-hmm. Like I still read. Speaking of. Um, ignoring the Christian mythology of it all. I still read the Chronicles of Narnia every year. That's like comfort food mm-hmm. for me. Uh, you know, sci-fi fantasy, very much my my deal. But um, the His Dark Materials and then the Wrinkle in Time expanded universe stuff were two just that just sort of passed me by. I, I, and I don't like I, I've always sort of wondered, are they worth going back to as an adult or do do I need that childlike sense of wonder to really appreciate, do you think? Well, I read um, His Dark Materials as an adult. I actually, like, one of the first books that Jeff ever gave me was The Golden Compass and, like, a couple other things. Like, off of – and it's funny. It's, like, the first time I went to his apartment, he gave me books, and he told me later it was so that <laughs> I'd have to see him again, which is hilarious. Oh, that's so um, But so one of one of those books was The Golden Compass. Um, I will say I enjoyed them. Um, the third one goes super off the rails, and I'm kind of interested to see – if HBO actually does finish the series, because that third book is a little bit of a doozy. Oh, now <laughs> so I'm intrigued. I would say, I would say read them, but know that, like, go in with very low expectations so that you don't get disappointed. <laughs> I can do that. I can definitely do that. And I'm a big fan of going in with low expectations and being pleasantly surprised. So that I feel like that happens to me mm-hmm. pretty regularly. It's happened to us in the movie yeah. theaters a number of times together. Well, also, we're pretty easy to please. <laughs> right. we're, we're hardly, um, like, snobs when it comes to our entertainment. We're Very true. quite the opposite. So it sounds like we're, we've are we sort of moved mm-hmm. on to random thoughts. Uh, I had one that, that made me laugh so hard. The fact that seven-year-old Buddy... The se- I'm going to laugh just even saying it. The fact that seven-year-old Buddy Barrett said that there have been a rash of pet <laughs> nappings... <laughs> I almost 
lost it. I was like, who talks like that, let alone a seven-year-old? There have been a rash of pet nappings in the area. Like, oh, my God. I almost died laughing. And now I want a whole story about Buddy Barrett and the Sunnydale pet napping ring that he's going to, like, thwart. Because um, he created, like, a... Basically, he built a cage for Pow to yep. <laughs> protect him from the rash of pet nappings. But, oh, God, I, I could say that phrase over and over again. That, like, it, it wouldn't be a very good band name, but it has that same type of, like, I feel like that's going to be one of those phrases that gets stuck mm-hmm. in my head in the future. Every once in a yep. while from now on, from here to eternity, rash of pet napping is just going to, like, pop in there and refuse to leave. Yep, I can definitely see that. What about you? Do you have anything that jump out I'm at you? I'm just scrolling through my notes trying to see. I feel like the the books were the big thing for me. Um, I guess one thing is sort of fun to note. We'll see if this ever comes up in the future. But apparently um, the Mancusis that Jesse did the extremely long and over-inclusive, uh, <laughs> overly responsible pet sitting job for um, <laughs> previously – they apparently two of their cats are um, pregnant with kittens, so we'll see if that equates. Talk about irresponsible. Right. So pet it's like owners. maybe maybe there'll be a distribution of more cats around the neighborhood at some point. I don't feel like I recall that being a thing, but um, I I just wanted to note that because I think Becca's when they're when Jesse is babysitting for Becca and Squirt, um, you know Becca's like, well the Mancusis are gonna have more kittens maybe marianne can just get one of those if tigger doesn't come back and it's like logically you know good good thinking becca but like no probably not immediately after tigger has gone missing is marianne going to consider a replacement pet but but good thinking right there were a couple of times that people brought that up and were like "Eh, it's probably too early and i was like yes don't even mention that or it did kind of make me laugh that like claudia used the club notebook to broach you know, have you thought he might be dead with Marianne? <laughs> right. Like that that didn't warrant an in-person conversation. So I, I mentioned uh, earlier that this one was particularly dated in some ways that doesn't happen very often anymore. I feel like they've gotten pretty careful about only mentioning, like like you said, the books and the pop culture that you're mentioning. I, ha- I now have a theory. The stuff that they've been mentioning that's real is all very timeless, like Millions of Cats, the oldest, mm-hmm. you know, picture book the madeline lingle books are like you know huge deal whereas maybe you know what's currently on broadway they chose something fake because you know they didn't know at the time that cats was still going to be running that oh god that the butthole cut was still going to be haunting (laughs) us you know um right 50 years later 40 years later however many uh 50 years later yes i i believe that lore of the of the butthole cut will exist for 50 years in any case um, so that's sort of my theory behind it now. But there were a couple of things in this one that really jumped out at me as like super dated. First of all, they mentioned that um, all the PIs live in Hawaii, or at least oh, they yeah. do on TV. And I was like, oh, that is very much mm-hmm. of a time. Early on in the book, when Tigger first goes missing, Marianne makes the joke, it's 10 <laughs> yep. o'clock, do you know where your Tigger is? And that was such a, that it's 10 o'clock, do you know where your children are? PSA from the late 80s and early 90s, if you are too young to remember that, was like a thing, but is very much not anymore. And then the whole, um, when she's talking to Dawn and there's the big thunderstorm, which ironically enough, just kicked up outside of my apartment as well. But she says she has to get off the phone because she heard it was dangerous to be on a telephone in a thunderstorm and i'm like kids now would have absolutely no idea why that would be (laughs) 
that that that's just not there there is no um chance of you know lightning striking your cell phone or your, well i mean i guess lightning could strike your cell phone but like not the link between right. your two cell phones anyway it just both it was it was interesting that all in one book they came they came out uh very specific references to a very very and i think i, I feel like a, it, it was such a narrow slice of time like those right. are not timeless references those only make sense in that yeah, specific time that period. is very true any other random one-offs you wanted to bring up no okay so i guess we should do some predictions for our next book which is actually our second super special uh babysitter summer vacation so do you have any predictions lauren <laughs> Um, part of the problem with some of these super specials is some of them are very specifically named and others like this one tell us absolutely nothing. Um, I want to say this is the camp one because I'm pretty sure the camp Mm -hmm. one was a summer camp, um, book and I'm pretty sure it was pretty early on in the super special run. And I I think it's Mm -hmm. camp Mohawk, I want to say. I think you told me that, though. I, yeah. I think I'm not remembering that. I'm pretty sure we looked that up when we were changing the name. Well, and that's what I was going to say, because I, I – and when we talked about um, the the series episodes, um, Hello, Camp Moosehead, Parts 1 and 2, um, I mentioned then this is a book that I did not read. So <laughs> this is the – I do know this is the camp book, but I okay. don't know anything other than what we saw on – series because i didn't read this one (laughs) so but yes it is uh it was originally camp mohawk but they changed it for the show which is the right choice obviously (laughs) yes good call um yeah i have no idea what to expect from this one then because uh, yeah i didn't i didn't remember anything about it in the tv show so it's going to be interesting to see Mm -hmm. having seen that you know if the show is completely if it follows the plot at all or if they changed it completely but yeah it'll be fun i'm looking forward to it it's been a minute since our last super special and now i feel like the super special start to yeah. come more regularly because we start getting the like mysteries and then the super mysteries and we start getting more special very special books outside of the main um timeline yeah coming up here so i'm i'm getting excited yep we're gonna start branching out more than just our regular main series so it'll be fun but yeah so we will be back um we are coordinating with a special guest to join us for that conversation as our you know tradition i guess is i guess it won't be a tradition until the (laughs) second time but um hopefully we are going to get that set up and recorded in the next couple weeks um right after thanksgiving and you guys will have it middle of december and Hopefully, we'll go from there. Not hopefully. We will go from there. But hopefully, you all will, we will go from be there. there with us to enjoy our next super special with a very special guest. Awesome. Okay. So, any other final club business? Why don't you just remind the good people where to find us? Okay. Well, if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Generation BSC. Or if you have more to say than can be said in comments or direct messages, feel free to email us at generationbsc at gmail.com. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.